Hello and welcome to Softcats Explain It podcast season five, episode three. We are now truly up and running with episodes coming thick and faster than Vin Diesel at a hair salon. My name is Dean Gardner, Softcats Field Chief Technology Officer. We're here to explain it. Every episode, our team of experts are here to talk tech in simple, jargon-free language. Over the course of this series, we'll be discussing new trends and ideas, as well as solutions to everyday problems in this fascinating and ever-changing world of tech. So the key is in the title, and on that note, I will introduce today's topic, the employee and customer experience in the future of working. Pretty big topic. We aim to delve into why it's important to measure the employee and customer experience, how we can use data points to review our own successes and failures, and to ask if data is being used to improve how we do our jobs, and to try and find out ultimately what the impact will be on the future of work as the hybrid workforce evolves and accelerates. And to answer those questions and much more, I'm joined by Adam Harding, Softcat's Chief Technologist for Digital Workspace, Amy Bain, Softcat's Head of Customer Experience, and Krizia Cabello, the Viva Lead at Microsoft. Thank you for joining me today and on to the first question. Why has the employee experience become such an important focus for many organizations? And I'm going to ask that to Krizia first. Yeah, of course. So I think... The main thing, of course, that really triggered this uh, this focus was the experience that we've all had during the pandemic and being forced to work from home. Uh, something that we thought impossible, so being able to be productive, to still do uh, the same tasks and meet with people but virtually was all of a sudden a reality. And so that started like some of the questions um, is there anything else that we should maybe reevaluate? Is this work so important? And does it need to take so much of the in-person time? And do we get enough out of the employers that actually we are really given all our life to? I think these were like the key questions that uh, started off. And so that obviously is driven a whole new world of how we measure, uh, factor in the experience of how this hybrid working model is is being played out that continues to evolve. So can you describe any new areas that employers are adopting to support that employee experience? Of course, think about the fact that um, maybe a couple of years ago, we would have measured the number of hours that we were present in the office to say how much productive we were. So if someone was staying at work until maybe 8 p.m. or midnight, well, that person was really grinding and was really being, um, uh, let's say, very much focused on to work. Right now, we know that this is not exactly correct. There are other pieces of data, there are other things that we could measure instead. And so what about measuring objectives and results? What about uh, measuring instead like the effectiveness of meetings that we have or collaboration time? What about understanding if we're spending enough time with the key people that are part of our networks? So these are all things that we use not to take into account enough. And now we actually can measure and make decision upon. Yeah, that, that's fascinating because you're measuring ultimately the outputs, the outcomes of, of the, 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 the productivity and measuring that as well as other bits and pieces you mentioned. So in terms of working hours then, um, do we think that we're going to be working more hours, less hours if we're measuring that effectively? And are we moving to um, a world where you don't have to work as maybe as many days in the week because you're measuring that productivity and output. Is it, what, what, anybody got an opinion on that? Adam, have you got an opinion on the working week? Is that going to change? So 
we've definitely already seen some organizations make drastic changes to the working week, um, but there'll be no absolutes. All organizations are not set up to work three hour, you know, three days a week or four days a week. If it's a service industry, if it's a hospital, it's got to be up and running all the time because people are sick and need help all the time. Um, but uh, at one end of the spectrum, we've seen organizations that are really concerned with the burnout. I think it was about 30% increase in workers stating that the, that that there was an unrealistic expectation to be always on during the hybrid, uh, the kickoff of the hybrid era. And in reaction and response to that, we've seen organizations do things like um, set a four day working week. And within that working week, um, you will have to make up the same amount of hours you always had. So let's say, you know, 37 and a half or 40, whatever, whatever you were originally up for. But how they'll structure those days is slightly different. They'll say each day you must be available between, uh, say, um, 9 and 11 and 2 and 4. But outside of those four mandated hours that Therefore, you can have collaborative meetings and everybody's expected to be available for. You can make up your hours however you like. Um, so there's certainly been people that have made and made changes to try and um, give people that balance. And I think this is what it's really about, balance. The balance of having anchor points where you know the people you rely on and you depend on and you want to need to be around are there. Um, and that benefits employees and it also employ, uh, benefits customers, but giving you the flexibility to structure your day so you in your personal life can get the most out of it, balancing your well-being and balancing your productivity. And I think that's where, where the, the struggle is for a lot of organizations. They don't know how to balance the two. So yeah, we've seen that kind of thing. That's probably the most extreme case. And I've seen that only in one company in the UK and they are a think tank anyway. So they are pushing the boundaries to see how things work. But lots of organizations, ourselves included, Dean, um, have come up with uh, more generic rules, i.e. we would like you to spend the majority of your time in the office, but how you split that blend is up to you. So I think that's those are the kind of two posts. So, so if, if we're, we're moving to that more flexible, well, uh, you've illustrated probably have already moved to that more flexible way of working in a lot of cases. Amy, I'm going to bring you in here and it's to ask, how do you think, you know, working with the customers and that customer experience piece, how do you think that relationship in a, in a services industry essentially could be affected if that changing of working patterns and structural days is changing um, and organisations are bringing in their own cultures? How do you think that relationship could play out in terms of the relationship with the customers? Yeah, so I think it's quite complex because there's obviously got to be some standardizations that people know where they stand. If you have, like Adam suggested, a four-day working week, other companies are working five days a week. If others are doing half remote, half in, I think there's going to be an added complexity in the sense that we're not going to have a standardization across the whole of the UK, across the whole of the world. Um, I think there's definitely benefits to it in the sense of, I mean, there's there's pros and cons to both of it. So less face-to-face meetings, positive and negative, because actually it's something we're practically trying to reintroduce. It's so important to meet face-to-face. And I think for us, especially when we're that kind of customer-centric organization, we really, really need to meet face-to-face to build those relationships. However, on the flip side, we've got customers who are completely happy with video calls and having done this success sort of successfully for two years, like Chrissia was saying, it actually on the flip side, it saves money, it saves time, um, it's the greener option. So I think in that sense, there are flip sides to both of it. Um, I think 
the other thing that's really key is that conversations that could have only previously been done by a quick phone call has now flipped a video. So actually, again, it's a little bit like what Chrissy was saying, that we can actually build better supplier relationships and customer relationships on actually a, a greater scale now um, with no additional time or effort required because what we would have done on a, a phone call two years ago has actually transferred to a quick video call. So you get the added benefit of that human interaction, the facial expressions, the, the building a relationship it's not for me, you know, it's still not in person, face to face going for a coffee, but it's better than picking up the mobile. And that's what we used to do. So, yeah, I definitely think that's one of the biggest technology sort of technical benefits that we've seen from the pandemic is that ability to replace a quick phone call with that that face to face interaction. Yeah, because sometimes it's just a question, isn't it? You know, you, a 15 minute call, whereas I suppose in the past that could have been a meeting, whereas, you know, it just speeds up the process of the, of the relationship in some cases. Do you think that the things that the areas you've just described, all of you, that it's getting to a position where the decisions businesses make on what they do from a cultural perspective, what they do from an hours perspective, <clears throat> how they build their businesses now with employees in mind do you think that's suddenly a differentiator to attract talent one company could have better more flexible models than others and how do you see that playing out if four companies you're going for a job maybe at those organizations they've all got different cultures is that a choice that now comes in i mean it's always been benefits but is now this kind of way of working a benefit that's seen um, as a differentiator yes i absolutely think that culture is a massive differentiator. If I think about some of my own friends and their own experiences as they had the opportunity to test the water with hybrid working during the pandemic, um, they absolutely felt the benefits from a well-being perspective. They actually got to take their kids to school and they got to pick them up and they uh, got to do some, you know, do some gym classes and things like that, even if it was just uh, with Joe Wicks on the TV, you know, that type of thing. And they got the freedom to just blend their day a little bit more without ever letting the foot off the, gra- the gas with regards to how productive they were to their organizations, but getting a little bit more back. And um, we, we, we often chat on this podcast and uh, in real life about um, hybrid as if it is the de facto and nobody else does anything else. Quite a few of my friends have gone back to work full time and every single one of them is looking for a new job because they want the culture that they have now tested and have appreciated and now it's been taken away from them. Um, that's a real hard thing to, to live with. So the organiser and, and within their organisations I've spoken to them, they are, they are absolutely not alone. Most of the other people, probably around the age where they've they've got you know, younger kids and things, especially, I think, um, and really benefit from it, are all looking to move to a different organisation that if that organisation gave them nothing more than the culture we're talking about here, one that's set up for hybrid working, they would absolutely go for that. So I think, yeah, I think it, that's my experience of it. I don't know, uh, Chrisier, I don't know what your experience has been. I would absolutely agree with you. Um, we're seeing already as um, in the market right now, if you're not offering a certain flexibility or like if you're not championing certain practices, well, you're an underdog. Like you will have a hard time like really finding, finding the right talent. Um, also, 
I would like to highlight how actually the hybrid world represents a great opportunity in terms of diversity and inclusion. Uh, think about like all of that talent that was so far left out of that market because maybe they couldn't like fit in in those like eight hours lot in office because there were other needs or other things happening. All of a sudden, we're opening up to a pool that is so much broader, even those not really living within the city or having like different needs. And so this is like very much more um, equal. This is a great opportunity for everyone. I guess in Microsoft, we've always been a little bit more flexible and giving some options, but we're really now trying to rethink how to make it even better looking forward. And it's not just about hybrid, it's also like, how do you think about flexible work overall and what makes it worth it really going to work? Because so many people also want to think and want to know that they are building towards something bigger. So it's also about like the values that you inspire to people that come work for you. So, Krasir, based on what you just said there, obviously that's the, the, the people aspect, understanding the people that work in your organisation and, and responding to those needs. And everybody should be included. Nobody should be ex- excluded. Do you think that data points now can be used proactively to make informed decisions to um, help with those areas, you know, diversity and inclusion? And, and what are the kind of platforms that you think are being developed to support that? There's different kind of data that we can leverage uh, we're definitely like sensitive and cautious in terms of like using that specifically for diverse and inclusion because we don't want to be um, incurring to the risk of discriminating so like that's definitely something that we're not after um, but there is a way to get everybody on board so there are a couple of solutions that we would think of in terms of how to make sure that everybody's on the same page and one example of these is OKRs and way of like sharing objective goals and results throughout the organization and make sure that everybody can understand where they stand and like what are like their objectives in comparison to the rest of the team and the organization and how that helps uh, really reaching the targets and that's like on the let's say what I call it like the conscious level of what's my purpose how do I get there and then there's another piece which is how do we know that the, our strategy is working, that our collaboration or asynchronous and synchronous work is really um, achieving their targets. And these are some example of like, for example, Viva Insights or um, platforms that measure the hours of collaboration, hours of being in touch with a broader or smaller network um, and understanding of how productive you can be. The great part of these platform is that um, they leverage averages and they leverage let's say um, industry benchmarks but uh, they would not disclose like the uh, reality of the single individual so like it's still very much uh, in line with data data privacy and GDPR so it can be leveraged like to make certain conclusions regarding are we working in an effective way is our team working too many hours after hours or are we being productive enough Um, are we um, even like giving enough um, independence to our teammates or maybe uh, we've been to micro, much, uh, micromanagers being present in the same calls and not giving anybody like the occasion maybe like to make certain decisions and so all of this is something that we can do but um, I think there's still like some more work that we can um, do in there to make sure that this is open to a broader public. Krizia, just a, a quick question. 
was wondering how do um, organizations like Microsoft who have platforms like Viva go about establishing what good and what bad looks like? What are How do you go about setting the benchmarks of what is too long, what is too engaged, what is under-engaged, all that kind of thing? How big should a network be? How small should a network be? I'm so glad you asked the questions. Where there's a couple of things that we're doing. Um, first of all, we have what we call averages that are like industry specific. So we can compare what are like some of the benchmarks across companies uh, in the same industry that are more or less the same size. So we kind of get an idea of, okay, what is like the standard across those industries? And this is like some, the first level. The second level though, we tend to actually ask the question to our customers and to ourselves, what is good for us? and challenge it. What are we seeing that is maybe similar to the standard? Does it suit us really? Or could we do something differently? Do we see opportunities? The data that we share is not to make just in decisions without um, any, any question asked. It's about really understanding what's underneath. So um, it might be that like some um, teams have um, many more work teammates working after hours. And then it's up to the manager asking the question, are you doing this because during the day you're picking up your child at primary school and maybe you're spending some more time and so you're actually happy to just transfer those two hours after the standard working hour slot? Or is it actually that we're giving you too much job, too much to do, and you don't get to get at the end of this? So there's never like a black and white answer. It's about asking the question and trying to get a feedback from the team and then build it on top of this. So yes, benchmarks can be like a starting point, but they're a starting point for you to ask the right question. So that, that that's fascinating because you're talking about, you know, GDPR and data governance, data management, if you will, because ultimately these are data points, information that's being collected about us, how we are interacting, how we're working. And that fascinates me. In the good times, you can be proactive and you can be much more positive with that information based on what you've described but is there a danger that maybe society and recessions may hit us over the next few years where businesses need to start making decisions about how they run their business could the data from a business owner perspective that's being ultimately collected could it be used in a bad way to make informed decisions on employees Um, I'm not saying that that is happening or is not happening just you know data is such a a careful currency nowadays and that's what you do with the data and how you manage it surely is so important and what you're saying is could be used for in a negative sense surely is is that is that a fair question so i can answer regarding our own platform definitely not regarding other other tools out in the market Uh, we're very strict regarding what actually business owners can see. So the data that we share is always anonymized. And actually, we also add normally like a random dummy to make sure that uh, it would not be possible to pinpoint 
what is the user that is doing what. The information is always um, so uh, basically shown on averages and uh, against like these little benchmarks that we're saying. Um, there is like a minimal amount of like nine people for each team. So if a team is smaller than that, we won't show you the insights. And this is exactly because we don't want that data to be used in the wrong way. We wanted to be able to ask questions. We want to be able to spot best practices. We don't want to start thinking about anything else that is, how do we squeeze more productivity into a team? That's not what we're after here. Absolutely. I'm going to bring in Amy, actually, and ask Amy a question around the customer. And, you know, when we're talking, when you're talking to customers regularly, is this kind of um, interaction, productivity, are these things that customers are talking to us about, do you think? Um, And is it an area of focus for them? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So one of the things we do is we have sort of a number of surveys we put out to our customers, a number of feedback methods. We have sort of communities of customers that we speak to. And one of the key things that came out last year was the top two kind of key priorities and challenges for the year ahead were tighter IT budgets, which is to be expected, and managing a hybrid workforce. So from our point of view, that's 100% something that our customers are, you know, they're experiencing the same things we are. And they're really, really focused on removing those sort of barriers to achieve a successful hybrid working model. And I think for them, it's really, you know, we've spoken about it already, but a mixture of the right technology and the right people management to drive that positive employee and customer experience. So it really is, it's a big topic. So we had, a, I think it was 69% of customers, and Adam, you'll remember this because you actually partially authored our tech tech priorities report last year. Um, but 69% of customers actually said that digital workspace was their top priority sort of investment area for the next 12 months. Um, and that was really just given that they had that same need as us to deliver that same employee experience, you know, at home in the office, exactly the same as we did. And we, of course, know this because we've had the exact same shift in this sort of new way of working. Um, but I think for us, we, you know, we proactively listen to our customers. We understand their priorities we both on that individual and mass basis, which again, very much like Chrissy was saying, you you know, you've got to do two types of measuring customer feedback. There's the listening to the individual and actually how does it work on an individual basis, but then also not losing sight of that kind of big picture by bringing it all together. And I think for us, we you know, we're doing both, but we're seeing it in both. We're seeing on an individual basis, people are focused on how they kind of best you know, manage a, a remote or a hybrid workforce, but also seeing it en masse across, you know, 69% of customers um, are saying that it's a focus area for them. Yeah. So we've spoken a lot about capturing the information. Um, now, experienced platforms are not just about capturing information. They're also about helping move things forward. So um, again, Chrissia, this is going to come to you, but um, Viva has uh, specific sections. It has Viva Connect for connecting people that makes a lot of sense as viva uh, insights for these kind of data points we've spoken about but then it breaks out into other areas like viva learning um and viva topics viva learning being really about helping um i suppose individuals get further helping them learn helping them grow helping them skill up that type of thing and viva topics well you let's do one at a time let's go with viva learning do you want to just tell us a little bit about that and one, what it is, and two, why that became a focus specifically for Microsoft when you could have done so many other things. Yeah, of course. So when we were looking at uh, what is that is missing for a team that 
cannot be in the office all uh, all the time and actually has to run back quickly, collaborate, and maybe people that have been just on board in the corporate world without having set foot in the office, we spotted out a big gap that was how to help them really understand what their role was about, um, getting upskilled and uh, delivering the better results. And so learning, of course, like came to mind. Uh, there are many companies and many situations in which the learning, when you think about learning, you think about compliance, you think about like the basic learning that you need to do. And some of the contents maybe can be tailored, but some others are actually pretty standard. When we thought about this, we wanted to make learning a part of the flow of the work. So something that you could add and really get into within the platform that you use for anything else. So now in our case, of course, Microsoft Teams and become something also like that can be a, a sociable activity and that can be personalized. So let's say I'm joining a new team and uh, I have like a new project. Well, in, with Viva Learning, my manager can recommend certain courses or certain documents that really can help me understand it better and quicker. Also, my colleagues can suggest that to me. They can share it in a chat. They can point out that what um, maybe part of the video they found like a very good insights. I can comment on this. And we have very good studies that prove that when we're talking about social learning, actually you learn much more. What you what your brain manages to retain, the, the level of information is much deeper. And that really helps um, speeding up like your onboarding. But also if you're not a new joiner, but you are someone that needs to be constantly reskilling because the demands of the job market are changing so rapidly. This is a great way to do it and keep it like within your work week and uh, in the flow of the work. We think sometimes the learning must take a full day off. So you need to have like a, a training that starts at 9 a.m. in the morning and finishes at 5 p.m. And then by the end, probably you'd be bored to death. Well, we kind of like thought, why not thinking about duration? So we, for example, show like the different trainings, not only in terms of like what the subject that we're showing, but also what's the length. So I can pick and choose. And if I have only 30 minutes, I know that I can go, I can select the course that is only 30 minutes long and I can still make it part of my day so we really wanted like to um, highlight this social component to it but also like this flow on the work and that's what we're after here yeah I, I think it's great I think the um, you know I personally think that learning is is a superpower you know it can be and it's um, we see time and time again organizations that invest more in their own talent it's much better for retention. It's much better for attraction. Um, and I really, and I've had a, a good look at uh, Viva Learning uh, for ourselves. And I, I'm very impressed by the AI that's obviously in the background that brings up, because it's not like there's 10 courses. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of pieces of content here. This is not a small thing. So I was kind of knocked sideways by that. But the AI that's involved that presents um, the right content at the right time is really useful. Um, and it's not just about how can I use teams? It's about how can I manage people better? How can I, you know, whatever the, you know, it's topic based. It's not just about how do I get the most out of Microsoft stuff, which you might, you might start, you know, you might think that's what it's going to be for. And the other thing I thought was really useful, um, because other, because those organizations that have already thought, well, this is something we should invest in have gone out and they've bought Skillsoft and Coursera and Pluralsight and all these other companies or well, that 
to the best of my knowledge, tell me if I'm wrong, Krasir, uh, can all be integrated into Viva Learning. So you get this consolidated hub. You've not got yet another place to go to. You've not got to do another content switch. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we you can consider Viva Learning as an aggregator, so that you can show within Teams uh, all the courses, not only that you've acquired from your LMS or different providers, but also some of the content that you're making. Think about maybe you're like uh, doing a readiness video and you're storing it in your SharePoint. Well, all of a sudden it can become part of like your formal training and can be recommended by other colleagues to to you. So that it becomes like a huge power for everyone. It means like even for smaller companies, they don't have to spend so much money looking for so much content. Some of this can be produced by themselves. By the way, apart um, in th- thinking about like the content consumed, I must say Excel 101 is still probably one of the most viewed videos, but we definitely have <laughs> other other topics on that as well. You can never know enough about Excel. Yes, yeah, exactly. There's still a lot of them out there. Um, so, Adam, do you think that there is this growth of software that's going to be happening or is being developed in the market that is built around employee experience, learning, development? And, and obviously, we've talked about Viva today um, in a bit of detail. But do you think there's an industry emerging that's bringing it all together as part of um, a much more consolidated uh, viewpoint? Um, because... Historically, has it been quite disparate in terms of the tools that are available to do a lot of those things? Uh, I suppose the short answer is yes. The slightly longer answer is when you look at the market, actually, there's lots of vendors that are jumping onto different terms that actually cover slightly different stuff. So, for instance, we've got customer experience. That is really uh, that, that's one end of the of the piece. Then you've got user experience which is uh, what you'll get out of organizations like Eternity or Nextthink or Lakeside Liquidware Labs, these type of organizations that are actually more concerned about putting an agent onto a device and understanding the user's technical experience and pulling lots of different data feeds together to make sure that the lights in the help desk aren't just green, but the people that are using the equipment are happy. And then you get employee experience which we're talking about today really which is when you go further than that it's about and it's actually about employees it's not about you as a user it's about you your well-being as an employee it's about your contribution to the business as a as a piece of the productivity machine but it's also about what's the organization giving back to you to make sure that it's not just taking 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 uh, and there's probably a much better explanation than that but so you've got these three broad areas and all three are on the rise. Um, I think that the user experience piece, understanding the workspace and how your day-to-day environment is working for you and making sure that there are no pinch points in the way of you doing your job is probably the easiest for people to get on board with and get their head around, especially as IT communities, because it's about IT stuff. It's really about speeds and feeds with the occasional question from a survey to make sure that, you know, what they're seeing as good is actually still fit for purpose from a functional perspective. Um, The employee experience piece is far more different and it's going to be the large organizations like Microsoft that have access to things that much wider pools of data like Microsoft Graph to pull together a story of your entire existence within Microsoft that are going to be able to give you an employee level experience piece because I just don't think there's that many vendors that have access to 
all the learning and training platforms and all the connectivity and culture stuff. Um, and uh, certainly when we move on to things like uh, Viva Topics about surfacing information that exists in the organization, you've got to be a certain type of scale and have a certain type of coverage to be able to tell that story and capture that story. So I think it will be the, the large organizations that do the employee experience piece. And then when it comes to customer experience, well, that's even more vast. There's so many entry points for a customer to your organization, whether it be via physical old school, get on the phone chat, whether it be in real life through a retail store or something, whether it be through a website, whether it be through an app or a portal, whether it be through your customer services organization. That's another huge piece of work, which we see piece, we see organizations like Microsoft and like Salesforce um, uh, and maybe like New Relic, to to greater or lesser extent, pulling that story together as well. But I, I kind of feel like there'll never be one tool that will tell you the entire story because there's just, to your point, Dean, there's just so many data points now that nobody's in the position, even Microsoft, even with their scale, nobody's in the position to click them all. Um, so it'll always be slightly, it'll be slightly disjointed. But what we, what we will see is things like the situation with Viva and Insights, whereby all of the other learning platforms can be consumed and hooks into the one central aggregator. So there'll probably be more of an aggregation story. Um, I hope that's answered your question because we've got I've that was quite a big. <laughs> there was a lot of stuff to cover there. Yeah, but it's, it's expanded it out. Amy, do you, do you want to add something to that that piece? Yeah, definitely. I think. Obviously, Adam, you made a really fair point that there are so many entry points to the customer, but I think obviously one of the key ones, and it came up quite a few times there, is that customer service piece. And I'm probably stating the obvious, but, you know, employee experience drives customer experience. That is, that's an obvious, and I think we all, we all know that. So, you know, you've got happy, engaged and motivated employees, and they're going to be more productive. They're ultimately going to deliver a better customer service. And it's I think we've already sort of touched upon this, but it's, it's really because they want to. And that's the key thing that if they are, you know, if we make that employee experience better, even the user experience, if they want to and they are motivated and they're, you know, that will make them inevitably more productive. Um, and I actually, I saw something really interesting. I was listening to, um, it was a TED talk. It was Simon Sinek and he was talking about uh, an employee. So he went on a business trip and there were two two different hotels, luxury hotel brands. And obviously customer centric if you're at a hospitality hotel brand. And he saw the same employee working in two different hotels because they were on shift. And in one of the hotels, the employee was slightly despondent. He was doing kind of the bare minimum, but he was doing just enough to not sort of get in trouble. In the other hotel, he was, you know, really motivated, delivering exceptional customer service. Um, and really, when Simon actually went and asked him about it, he simply said he was happy at this place. So he you know, he said, I'm happy at this while my management trusts me and I enjoy and love my job and he just simply didn't so it's the same person the same capability and it was simply that his employee experience defined his behaviors and then the output which has a direct impact on the customer service that his customers received so I know it's like a really simplistic way of saying it but gen I genuinely think it is that simple that you know our employee experience and the way that we treat our employees and how motivated they are has that direct link on sort of the end customer so as quite a large entry point I'm you know, I'm aware there's many, but as a real predominant entry point, I do think employee experience is the key to kind of it transcending down to our customers. It's absolutely true. And one way we're trying to capture it in Microsoft is talking about return on experience. So 
starting like to make see to our customers that actually um, what your the investment that you're making on employee experience is not just like something that you would never see like a return from, but actually is the opposite. And you can measure it depending on like the employee satisfaction, how much you can retain talent, how much like people are going to be happier, feel more empowered and then serve better your customers as well and so this is all like deeply connected and i think there's also like another important piece that has been highlighted even more during the pandemic it is the importance of managers um, i think this is a category that so far has been under trained under and sometimes like we have not recognized how much weight is on their shoulders and uh, so thinking about giving them the right tools Viva Inside, for example, helping them understanding if there are things that they could do better if they have enough one-to-one times with their teams or setting up better plans for skilling and um, having that that uh, broader approach to how to make manager feel better and do better their job with the teams is one of the key principles that we're working towards as well. Fantastic. Um, I'm going to ask one final question if I may. What does the future look like for employees, employers, customer relationships? We've covered a lot of that today in terms of tooling, but what do we think? We think this is going to carry on or do we think we're going to go back to the old ways, offices and hour open and we're going to throw it all away or is it going to stay in this hybrid way of working? What, what, what do you think? I really think it's going to come down to the level of customer satisfaction. If by increasing the amount of freedom and the amount of control in the favor of employees, the customer satisfaction increases, then we will continue down that path. At the point where the customer satisfaction starts to dip a little bit, because as Amy said earlier in this uh, conversation, you know there have to be some degrees of standards. Customers have to be able to expect you to be there when they need them. If the freedom gets a little bit too chaotic, then it'll dip back down again and they'll find it's right it's right level it'll find the equilibrium at the moment we're trying to understand the ebbs and flows so that this whole new world finds its pattern um but for me the the employee and employer satisfaction levels will swing ever so gently until they find perfect equilibrium for the uh, customer satisfaction there is definitely a correlation between customer satisfaction and the level of employee flexibility, employee experience, but also I think there's a broader um, force in the market uh, that is acting right now. And so, you know, we're probably, if we're seeing like an economic downturn and all of a sudden maybe we're all needed like to look at really having uh, job security, maybe that um, employee experience relevance could slightly go down. But the moment the, the economy would flourish again and we can think of uh, kind of like the next priority up apart from the security that will pop up again. Because inevitably the moment as humans, we have all of the other needs sorted um, thinking about like the pyramid there of the uh, Maslow needs, where then we start think, okay, what what's next? What what is really important to me then? And as you shift that thinking, you shift it not only as an employee but also as customer yourself. So I think there's a correlation there too. I know I totally agree. So. Um... You know, I think I said earlier, but we need to have a little bit of standardization to actually so that people know they stand. So there has to be a really good mix between flexibility, standardization, and making sure, as we've all kind of agreed, that the customer satisfaction, the customer experience isn't negatively impacted at any point. And if it is, addressing that. So really, for me, I think, you know, we can make these changes to how we work. We can improve um, 
you know, processes for our employees to be more efficient. We can make work more flexible, have well-being days, go to a four-day week, you know, if you want to. But actually, the, the crux of it is the customer has to benefit off the back of it, especially if you're a customer-centric business. And for us, the key is actually just staying close to our customers, gathering the right feedback and data as we go and doing it slowly, and then actually use this, form the insights, and then shape our strategy in accordance to it. So we just have to respond. I think we all think the same thing. You have to respond to how the you know how it, how our decisions as a business or other organisations, how it impacts the end customer at the end of the day is really going to determine how it goes. I think. Thank you all for those answers. They're fantastic, um, and thank you for joining me today for the Explain It podcast. Adam, thank you. Krizia, thank you. Amy, thank you. And join us on the next episode. Episode four will be coming very very fast um, and there'll be subsequent episodes coming even faster so we will speak to you all soon thanks for joining us today 